Esther 8, chapter 8, verse 1 through 8. We're going to really wrap up Esther today. And we're not going to read, we actually have three chapters left, but we're going to kind of wrap it up in today's message. And we're not going to read all three chapters. I want to read about eight verses. As we kind of think about where we've been as we talked about Esther, and we kind of really end uh, this book today in this series of messages as we've talked about it. Uh, There's so many different themes that we've looked at, but really God has been the center of all of it. He, He has preserved His people, and that's what the title is today. God preserves His people. He did that for the Israelites. He's done that for the Jews throughout the centuries, and He does that for you and for me today. He preserves us, even in the middle of when we have a hard time, even in the middle when we're persecuted, when we're going through bad trials and situations, when we're going through things in our lives that we had no control over. You know, if we if we had control over every situation and we were just paying uh, uh, the consequences for what we did, well, you could kind of see that. But I want to share with you today that sometimes we go through lives and we didn't do in our lives, and we didn't do anything to cause the stuff we're going through. You ever been there? Sometimes we kind of deserve what we get. Amen. You know, you you eat a big bowl of ice cream and you get a bellyache. You you kind of you kind of deserve what you get. But there are things in our lives that that we really don't deserve, but we get them anyway. And what I understand from reading Esther in, in, in different parts of Scripture is God has a way of preserving His people even when you go through those times. Even when you have to go through the, the valley of the shadow of death and, and you didn't do anything to cause it. God preserves you anyway. We're tempted to think, well, what have I done? Have you ever said, what have I done? Sometimes you can identify what you've done. Sometimes you have brought on your circumstances. Let's just be honest. But sometimes you don't. And God preserves His people in either of those circumstances and helps them through. And I want to read Esther 8, verse 1 through 8, and then we're going to conclude this series of messages this morning about Esther. If you would, stand with me. Esther 8, verse 1 through 8. Esther 8, verse 1 through 8. And verse 1 begins this way. On that day, King Hazarus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agiite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. Verse 4. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadathagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews, who are in the king's provinces. Verse 6, For how can I endure seeing the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Then King Ahasuerus said to King Queen Esther, 
and Mordecai the Jew. Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. And you yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word today, and I pray You speak to the hearts of those that would listen. I pray, Lord, that Your Word would penetrate anything that would keep us from being shielded from the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray You'd seal it in our hearts. Bind any force that would keep it from being planted. And Lord, we love You and look forward to what Your Word will accomplish in our lives this week. Thank You, Lord. Thank You so much for being here today. You are above all. And we thank You so much for that. In Jesus' Precious and holy name, amen. You may be seated. Alright, so here we are at the part of the story, towards the end. After Haman's execution, we find that the king gives all of Haman's possessions to Esther. Okay? And so, Haman is no more. And everything that is Haman's is now Esther. I'm not just talking about his bank accounts or his house. But I'm talking about everything he possesses, all of the servants, his family, everything he was in charge of at the time is now under the control and discretion of Esther. If Esther wants to kill all the people in the family, she has legal right to do that. If she wants to take all the possessions of them up and burn it all, she has the authority to do that. He has given all of the authority to Esther. And then she reveals... Her connection to Mordecai. She's already revealed that she was a Jew and connected to the Jewish people and they were her countrymen and the king did okay with that. He, he wasn't shocked. You know, sometimes we find out something we go, oh. but he handled it okay. And now she goes even a little, the, the next step and says uh, that, that she is connected as a cousin and, and he has raised her to, to Mordecai. And the king finding that out, then gives Haman's position to Mordecai. And then we see that Esther gives the house, because she can do anything she wants to it with, the wealth of Haman, she gives to Mordecai. So we see how Esther stood up, saved the people, and now we're going to see that Mordecai is exalted. The king gives him position, the queen gives him wealth. Just like that, he's got it made. In life, anyway. And so now has position, he now has possessions, and now he has status in, in the Persian Empire at this time. Now, that's settled. The king did what he thought was right. He honored the queen and her relative. And as far as the king is concerned, all is right. I don't want you to get a warm, fuzzy feeling about King Hazarus, okay? I don't want you to think that, that everything about him was making things right. Because you've got to remember, yes, Haman is the one that tricked him, but the king did sign the decree. And then he didn't even remember which people he, he said he was going to annihilate, because, you know, I guess there's several in the course of a day. But now, as, as far as he's concerned, all is right, because he's right between the king and he's right between Mordecai, and now she goes the next step. And up to this point, she's been 
going through po- protocol. She, she's been doing the things that, that you'd expect her to do. But now she gets on the ground at His feet. And now she's going to appeal to the king on a personal level in a way that she hasn't up to this point. And when you look at what she says, uh, and go back if you would and look at verse probably 3 is where it's at, when she says, So Esther arose and stood before the king, and and then 3... No, actually, let me go back. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. So she's now imploring on a personal level, the way she never has up to this point. And the king held out the golden scepter, sign of approval, toward her. And so Esther arose and stood before the king, and it says, if it pleases the king, listen to this, if it pleases the king, if I have found favor in his sight, if the thing seems right to you, and I am pleasing in your eyes. She appeals on all those four bases. She don't want to leave anything out. And she's wanting to get... You ever talk to someone and you feel like they're not getting it? You're trying to explain something and they're, you know, they're nodding their head, but I don't know if they're replaying last night or planning the menu or what they're doing. But they don't totally... They're kind, she wants to make sure that he totally is connected with her for what she's about to ask. Because this is important. Mordecai gaining wealth, that's a secondary issue. Her getting the house of Haman and all those things, that's all secondary. We've got to save the people. That's her main focus and the main priority. And the king listens and gives her the power. Okay? Now you need to understand that once a Persian law is enacted, it can't be taken off the books. It's a law. It's written down. The king said it. It's got the ring seal on it. It's a done deal. So what he said, the people will be annihilated on that day, is the law. They just can't go back and say, oops, we messed up. Repeal. It's a different law, legal system, than what you and I might be accustomed to. But what they could do is write another law that would counteract the effects of the first law. And they all understood that. She understood it in, in her wording. And, and, and he understood it as the king. And so the king gives Esther the power to issue a decree that the Jews could defend themselves on the day they were to be attacked. Well, that would stop it. Give them, make sure they have the weapons, make sure they have the support, and they can defend themselves on the day of attack. This, this, this decree demonstrates that there was a shift of power in the court. Because really what it said was, the people are now going to have the support of the, of the royal court that they can defend themselves and we will help them defend themselves. It empowered them that they wasn't going to be standing alone. Sometimes we feel like we're standing alone. And they definitely would have been because not only would have random people attack the Jews on that day, but the, the whole wrath of the court and all that Haman, all, all of his uh, supporters and everybody that was a part of his circle would have done everything they could to annihilate the Jews. Now the tables have turned. There, there's a new political party in power. Amen? That changes ever so often, doesn't it? And that's what we see here. Now the Jews can defend themselves and they will be defended on that day. 
And as you read through here, you'll see that's what they do. They're able to defend themselves. They successfully defend themselves against when the time comes. And it even goes through, if you're into Jewish history, you find that this is when the Feast of Purim was actually instituted. And, and it's a feast that celebrates God's deliverance from enemies. And it's called pure because if you remember in the beginning when Haman was trying to decide what day the Jews should die on, they cast lots. Or the term was also the pure. Pure. P-U-R. And they cast the pure. They cast the lots. And now the tables have turned. And now it's not a day of crying, but it's a day of shouting. It's a day of excitement. It's a day of celebration. The Feast of Purim. And you can read through there and, and see that. See, that goes to show you that, that when the enemy has you marked for destruction, God has the final say. Amen? There's a world out trying to get you down. There's a world trying to destroy you. There's a world that's working against everything that you as a believer think should be. There's a world... Listen, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against a power that comes from a devil and the principalities that he has set up in this world. You're, you're fighting against a demonic system. You're not fighting against your neighbor. You're not fighting against one or two little people down the road. But there's a, there's a whole kingdom that's, that's powered by Satan that's out against you if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, he's not messing with you. Amen? But if you're a believer, if you have identified with the body of Christ, he's out to get you. He's out to kill you. He's out to mess up anything you try to do for God, not just mess your day up, but he wants to destroy what you are trying to do for God. Listen, we think we, we go through life and, and we try, oh, it, it, we think, oh, this is just the way it is and I'll handle my day. You're in a war. You're in a battle every day, whether you know it or not. Sometimes we're just, no, no offense, but sometimes we're just too dumb to realize it. Sometimes we just don't want to realize it. But there is a fight going on around us every day. And, and as we look at this, we understand that just because the enemy says, I'm going to destroy you, thank the Lord God has a final say. We see that all through Esther. God, every time an enemy would say, do something, every time in, uh, Haman had a plan, every time the king signed this, God was never taken aback. God was never surprised. Matter of fact, it was right on schedule for the next thing God was going to do to counteract it. God, it's the same way in your lives. Things are not out of control. They are not willy-nilly. You're not spiraling into the abyss. If you're in God's hands, you're there in God's hands. And sometimes it seems like it's a ride, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems like it's out of control. I, I, I'm not a big fan of roller coasters. Primarily because I have no control whatsoever in a roller coaster. I'm on the top of that loop. I look down. I know what's coming. And I can't stop it. How many people love roller coasters? How many people don't like roller coasters? 
Now, now there's something about the thrill. There, there, I, can un- I really can kind of understand it. I don't like it, but I kind of understand that you kind of like this, this, this feeling of, of, of excitement or whatever. I, I just as soon be in control. Put me a little break on the side and let me go down at my speed. All the way down. Gets a little too fast. Might take me an hour to get down that loop, but I'll be okay with that. See, there's just sometimes we have this feeling that we're totally out of control and we can't stop it. We, 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 life is just beyond us sometimes. And we get through one thing and we take a deep breath and we look up and here's something else we got to deal with. And we handle that okay and, and we wipe the tears from our eyes and then here's another big monster smacking us in the face. You ever been there? And, and, and just as soon as we get through one trial, one circumstance, then we're dealing with five more. Listen, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer in Christ, you need to understand that God has it under control. And I know on the regular days it may not help a whole lot, but then again it does help to know that He's in control because sometimes that's all I've got. Sometimes that's all I've got. And I have no words of wisdom. I have no book that's going to tell me how I'm going to get out of this save the Bible. I, I, I don't have you know a, a guarantee other than I know that God has got it. He does. And it may not help me at the immediate moment, but I know that He's got it. Sometimes it's all i got, but it is enough. And just when the enemy has you set up and marked for destruction, church, you need to know that God has the final say. There's three principles that I want to just share briefly with you in the time we have. As we talk about how God preserves His people. He saves us. He keeps us. God's got this. Amen? Maybe we ought to practice that. This week, when something comes up, I want you to remember these words. God's got this. Say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. God's got this. He does. He's got this. Even when it doesn't seem like it. He he has the circumstance, and he's handling it. First principle that I want to share with you this morning is this, that he is above all other power and authority. He's above all other power and authority. There's a reason I sang the song today, to remind myself and to remind you that God is above all in my praise and in my worship, but not just that. He is above every other power there has ever been or ever will be. I want to share with you today that the devil is strong. He is very powerful. He can do a lot of stuff, but he's nothing in comparison to what God can do. The the, the most, probably the second most, I guess the second most powerful entity that I'll ever face will be Satan. That's scary. He can do a lot of stuff. He can destroy. He can, he can kill. But I'm not afraid because I have Jesus on my side. I'm not scared to the point that I, I just have to give up and, and crawl in the fetal position in a corner because I know God is infinitely more powerful 
than Satan. And he is a toothless lion. Now, if you bring a toothless lion through that door, I'm going to the corner. Because I don't know he's toothless. And he growls just like the tooth, toothed ones. Would that be the I don't know. Why am I asking you? I mean, but just, just like a lion with all his teeth, he'll, he'll roar, he'll growl, and he's just as big. But the devil is a toothless lion. He doesn't have authority over you. He doesn't have power over you unless you give it to him. I choose to give my allegiance and the power over me to God. And He is above all other power and all other authority. He was above the king in Esther. We see it all through there. The king believed to his dying day he was the most powerful monarch in the world at that time. And he was wrong. Because God was using him like a puppet to accomplish his will. He, he was above Haman. Haman thought he was second in the empire and on the rise. Haman says, one of these days, I'm going to be in charge of it all. The king's going to elevate me to, the, to, to do everything in the empire. And Haman worked himself to the gallows. God's still over Haman. He was over the king. He was over Haman. He was over uh, the decree. Laws are not absolute. Law, you, did you know that there are laws, but even God's over the laws? You know, we, we see that all the time. There's, have you ever met somebody that's above the law? I've met people who act like they're above the law. We may not be above the law. God's even above the law. Because He's the author of law. And so when we look at this, He is above all of this other power and all this other authority. And, and we get so caught up when somebody seems to be pushing us to the ground, when, when, when circumstances have us in such a tizzy that, that we can't see straight, God still has the authority over all things. All He has to do is say, peace be still, and it is. Now He may not, but it's enough for me to know that He can and one day he will. You know, as a parent, I wish that I could keep every evil thing away from my children. Don't you? I wish that I could take every crossword that will ever be spoken to my children, every thing that somebody might say to them or do to them. I wish that I could stop every bit of it and they'll never be touched with it. Wouldn't that be great? But I can't do it. There are things in life that we'll be touched with. As pastor, I really pretty much think the same way. And I know you're grown and I'm grown. And some of you are twice grown over me and, and older than me, I understand that. I, I'm being careful. But even if you are in your 70s or 80s or beyond, because of what God has placed me here for, 
You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying I'm above you. You understand that? Amen? But I still care about you and am concerned about you, even if you're more than twice my age in much the way a parent is for a child. I don't know if you can fully understand that, because to tell you the truth, sometimes I don't fully understand that. But I do. And I cannot keep you from hurting. I can't keep my children from hurting. I can't keep myself from hurting. But God has the power over all that oppresses me. Anything that would push me, God has the power. He is above all other power and all other authority. The second principle is this. Not only does He know what you're going through, but He is using it to accomplish His purpose. The story of Esther is really the most orchestrated part of the Bible. It looks like things are going out of hand, but everything went according to script. I'm not into theatrical productions, but it was all scripted. Everybody entered stage left when they were supposed to enter stage left. And it was time for the final curtain. It was time for the final curtain. It was all laid out according to God's plan. And not only does He know what you're going through, but He uses it to get His will, His purpose done. He never left Esther of the Jews. He directed her rise to power. Think about her coming to power. That should have never happened. A Jewish girl, queen of the Persian Empire? How ridiculous. And yet that's what God did. He placed her there at just the right time. I want to tell you today that my timing stinks. Your timing stinks. But God and His time is always perfect. And He placed her there at the right time for the right purpose. The right person, the right time, and the right purpose. Last principle, church, is this. That even in the middle of tragedy, God's going to bring about His triumph. Even when you're hurting, even when the sky is sad and dark and God's going to bring about His purpose. He's going to bring about a triumph. Esther could have given up. She could have taken matters in her own hands. But she chose to display the character of God in the midst of adversity. And He saved His people through Esther. On the very, and this is what I, I think is the coolest part. This is the neatest deal. That the Jews were saved and exalted on the very day they were all supposed to be destroyed. Now, does God not know how to work timing? You know, the, the, your life may be out of control, at least in your mind. And, and you don't know what's going to happen next. But just when you need God to move, I promise you, He's going to move. It's been that way my whole life. 
God's never done things the way I've wanted Him to. But you know what? It's been okay. I kind of like the way He's got it work. Matter of fact, I'm grateful for the way He does it. Just because I want things to be a certain way, church, don't mean that's what it needs to happen. In your life, God may be working today. And you may be going through horrible circumstances. You might be dealing with a sickness. You may be facing surgeries. or, or You may have personal relationship problems. You may have financial situations. I'm not going to belittle you or, or, or make you feel inferior by saying, oh, it's going to be okay. But I am going to say, it's going to be okay. Not because I said so, but because God's got you in His hand. As they come and prepare the invitation today, I want you to just bow your head right where you're at. If you would, just start praying and ask the Lord to reveal to you anything that He might want to. Never want to go past this time. We tend to Format it and try to make it a certain way just so we can leave. This may be the very time God wants you personally to respond in some way. You may want me to respond in some way that I've, I've not known about. Lord, today would you speak to our hearts from the oldest to the youngest and all people in between. And if there's some way that we've wronged you, if there's some way that we could follow you better, speak to our hearts. God, what you need us to do and in the, the ways in which we need to look to you as you preserve us. God, we're thankful you preserve us. God, we're so thankful that you take care of us daily, that you provide for our nourishment, our food, clothing, shelter. Thank You, Lord, You take care of our families. But God, we need to be reassured that You're going to be with us every day. God, do that please today. In Jesus' name.